Sketch seven of Modern Monologues by Marjorie Benton Cook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Stage directions read by Eva Davis. The Very Young Person. Read by Linda Olson Feitak. Mother. Read by Eva Davis. Up to Date Girl. Read by Linda Olson Feitak. Maggie Dogen. Read by Linda Olson Feitak. Sketch seven Suburbanites. Scene Suburban Train. Enter a very young person who meets a friend. The very young person. Why, Betty Borden, how do you do? Where on earth did you come from? I haven't seen you in ages. Is that so? Boarding school. Isn't that fine? Of course you liked it. Everybody always likes boarding school. Me? Oh, I'm still at Miss Smithers. I suppose I always shall be there. Like it? I should say not. I simply hate it. Why, that old woman, that Miss Smithers, she just spends her whole time making us girls miserable. I give you my word of honour that if a boy so much as puts his head around the corner of the street, she pulls down all the curtains. That's a fact. Oh, I'd just love to, but my father won't hear of it. He says he wants me right at home where he can see that my studies don't interfere with my social duties. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? He says he knows that if I went away to school, I'd work myself into brain fever. I never saw you look so well, and that's the sweetest hat you've got on. Would you mind turning around? Oh, it's lovely. Where do you get your hats? Do you now? Well, I was never in there. I'll just make Mama go in with me tomorrow. Hats are an awful bother, don't you think so? Of course, I never can have the kind I want. I always have to get these young-looking things. Mama makes me. But I tell you one thing. My spring suit is way down to the ground. Mm-hmm. I've driven Mama to it at last. Why, it's perfectly disgraceful. There are plenty of girls in our school who have their clothes clear down to the ground when they're only 13 years old. And here I am, almost 16, and mine up to my ankles. Oh! <gasps> There he is. <laughs> Claps hand over her mouth. Oh, fudge. I didn't mean to say that out loud. That's just the trouble. I don't know who he is. I only know that he gets on my train in the morning, and he takes this train every afternoon. Oh, no, not that thing. I mean the third one with the pink cheeks and the curly hair. Isn't he a stunner? Sees his friend by wrist, excitedly. You don't mean to say that you know him. We'll call him over and introduce him. I'm just dying to meet him. Oh, well, never mind. You can explain when we get him here. Oh, go on, please. Wait till he looks this way. Now, he's looking. Ah, oh, he saw us. He's coming. Isn't he swell? <laughs> Nods. How do you do? <laughs> yes, I've seen you before, too. Yes, 
I always take this train. Yes, <laughs> I know you do. I've seen you on it. Isn't it funny we never have met before? I know lots of manual training boys. Oh, yes, I know him and Fred and Dick Vaughan, I should say. I know all those fellows. Awfully nice crowd, don't you think so? Sort of young, but awfully nice. What? Dick Vaughan? Mercy, no, he's just a baby. Why, I've known him since he was that high, and he's only about thirteen. Oh, he goes with lots of older fellows and all that, but... Looks at Conductor, who interrupts her. What? Oh, Ticket. Now, what did I do with my ticket? Did you notice whether I had a pocketbook or not, Pity? Didn't I? Well, maybe it's in my book. Shake's book. No, well, you'll have to punch my ticket twice tomorrow, Conductor. To boy. Oh, now, please don't, thank you. I do have the awfulest time with my ticket. Of course, if I take my pocketbook, it's all right, because then it's in my pocketbook. But if I don't, I usually put it in one of my school books. And then if I don't bring the same book home that I took to school, why, there I am. Why, sometimes I owe the conductor as much as five punches. Dear me, this is my station. Where did I put my other book? Would you mind moving, Betty? No, it isn't there. Oh, thank you. Didn't I have an umbrella? I thought I did. I'm getting off here, conductor. Do come and see me while you're home. To boy. I, I, <laughs> I suppose I'll see you in the morning. Goodbye. Two. Enter mother and small boy, Martimus. Mother. Now hurry along, Martimus. Hurry. Lifts him into seat. Now, you sit still and be a little gentleman. She looks about Carr and back to Martimus. Yes, we are going now. Yes, the engine is pulling us. What makes the engine go? Why, why, the engineer, dearie. Mm-hmm, the engineer. Turn around, Martimus, and let Mama tie your necktie. Now hold still. She unties and ties his tie again. Nonsense. Now, I didn't pull it tight enough to hurt you. Scratch what? Your collar? Where? Here. Oh, that doesn't scratch much. I can't help it if it does. You have to wear a collar when you go to town. Because you do. Gentlemen always wear collars. I don't know why. Yes, that's the lake. Mm-hmm. It's very deep. No, not a million miles, but deep. Quite deep. Martimus, take your feet off my dress. Look at that now. Brushes herself vigorously. Turn around and let me put your cap on straight. I never saw anything like the way you wear your cap. Now, let it alone. I don't care how the boys wear theirs. I want you to wear yours the way I put it on you. Martimus, don't do that again. Haven't you a handkerchief? Well, what have you two for? Laughs. One for each nose. Well, you'd better use them both. That's right. Now put them back in your pocket. 
No, no, one in each pocket, silly. Looks out the window. No, this doesn't seem to be a station. I suppose we're slowing up to... to let off uh, smoke or something or other. No, now, this window is just as good as that. Well, my dear, if that is the only thing that will give you happiness, go over there. But be careful. She helps him across. Martimus! Oh, Martimus! Come here to Mama. Come here a moment. Put up your foot. I want to tuck your shoestrings in. I never saw such floppy things. Now, you may go back. Careful. Oh, I knew you'd do that. Shh, shh, come here to me. Stop that noise. I never heard such yelling. Come here. Takes him in her arms and rocks to and fro. There, there. Where did him hurt him? Mama kiss it. There, there. Look at that little baby staring at you. Ain't you ashamed? Now, you turn round here at your own window. Yes. Yes, I see. It's a freight car. I don't know what's in it. I expect coal or cows. Oh, it isn't a coal car? Well, it must be something else, then. Yes, that's steam. Martimus, you do ask such silly questions. I don't know anything about steam or cars or cows or coal. You ask Papa when he comes home. He'll know. Now, what are you going to do? Do sit still like a gentleman. What? Oh, the baby. Isn't it cute? Wiggles hand at baby across the aisle, in the usual asinine manner for attracting a baby's attention. How do, baby? How do? To Martimus. Isn't that cunning? Did you see that smile? What? You want to kiss that baby? Well, I don't know whether it's Mama will let you or not. You might go and ask her. But do be careful now. We don't want you falling down again. Helps him across, then claps her hands and calls him back. Why, Martimus, what do you mean by grabbing that little baby by the top of the head? Of course it's soft there. All babies are like that. Well, because they are. I don't know why. No, your head isn't, because you're not a baby. No, mine isn't, because I'm grown up. Papa's? Well... I sometimes think that Papa's is a little soft yet. Oh, this is our station. Now, don't stop to ask questions. Come along. Drags him off, finally picks him up, and runs off. Three. Enter an up-to-date girl. She is joined by Mr. Atwood. She speaks. Good morning, Mr. Atwood. Won't you join me? And how do you fare this perfect day? Yes, it certainly is charming. You know, I think weather is the only thing I'm conservative about. I'm all for extremes in everything else. You think so? Women are more apt to be extremists than men, you say? Well, perhaps. I never thought of it. Of course, you men are so overburdened with logic, reason, and all such drawbacks. Now we women just jump at our conclusions 
and sense the in-betweens, while you poor plotters are conscientiously exploring. No, no, I disagree with you. I think nine times out of ten we arrive at the same conclusions, and you must admit, our method is shorter. Leans over and bows to the woman who passes. Why, how do you do, Mrs. Stearns? I didn't see you. Thank you. I'm hoping too soon. To Mr. Atwood. Has she been sitting there all the time? How stupid of me not to have seen her. Do I like her? Yes, immensely. She's so frankly detestable. Most women are, you know, but not frankly. She says more nasty things in a minute than you can repeat in an hour, and yet she never seems to have any malice. A keen eye for human failings and a sharp tongue for summing them up. And it's all done in the sort of impersonal attitude of the historian, don't you know? Oh, she's clever. No, no, men don't like her. She's too smart. Well, that's what I mean. I don't think men do like clever women. They like them in books, but they're afraid of them in the flesh. Oh, well, of course women like clever men. But then women like men to be their equals, and you men, you like women to be on the next lower mental plane. Did that man call Elmswood? I'm off at the next station. Yes, I'm going to the club to play golf. I go round every day now with a professional, getting ready for the tournament, you know. We take our games so seriously these days, don't you think we do? I always seem to be getting ready for a match, or getting over a match, and it's a maximum of hard work and a minimum of pleasure, and of course I wouldn't do it if I weren't such an odious old peacock thirsting for success at things. Well, here we are. I'm glad to have seen you. Thanks. I'll work very hard and pray for luck. What more can a mortal do? 4. Enter Maggie Dugan and Annie O'Brien. Maggie. Now hurry right along, Annie O'Brien, and take the first seat you come to. Here you are. Drops into seat and gets up again quickly. I beg your pardon, sir. I didn't see you get down first. I hope I didn't hurt you, sir. Well, that's good. Aside. I almost squashed him. Here you are now, Annie. Sit down. I don't want to sit down. I wouldn't sit down if I could. I'd rather sit down standing up. I'll grab onto one of these hoops. She steadies herself by loop. It's awful crowded this time of night, ain't it, Annie? Sure thing. Yes, I've been out all day. It's my day out. I bought me a ulster, Annie. Silk-loined and fancy-trimmed. Ah, it was a swell thing. Eight dollars and thirty-eight cents. Would you believe it? Ah, oh, it's a swell thing. No, ain't so tired. Oh, I wouldn't be tired at all if it wasn't that I'm wearing the mistress's old boots and they nearly kill my feet. And where are you living now, Annie? Are you? And do you like the place? Utter surprise and horror. <gasps> you don't tell me. She won't let you play the coronet. 
Why, what do you stay for, Annie? I wouldn't stay a minute with a woman that wouldn't let me play the coronet. Why don't you bring her up before the union? Oh, yes, I got a nice place. Most suits me. But I says to her before I went there, I says, Now I want one hour on the morning to practice music and one hour after lunch to take me nap. The butler's got to be Irish, so we'll be congenial, and I says, if I want a few friends in now and then for dinner, I don't want no kick coming, see? And she says to me, she says, would you mind if me and the family just stopped in the house while you're with us? And I says, I don't mind at all at all, I says, but if you promise me these things and don't do em, I says, I'll have you up before the union and you'll sit in the kitchen and whistle for a cook, I says. And she knows I was telling the truth. I got her coming all right, all right. She's meek as a lamb, Annie. She never peeps. I tell you all you got to do is make up your mind to your rights and learn to handle the upper classes and it's easy, it's easy. By God, this is my station. Come round and see me, Annie. Come round and see me and the butler. So long, Annie. So long. End of sketch seven.